everyone thank you for tuning into the second episode of bits and beyond presented by student alumni relations cell bits pilani with this podcast we aim to get up close and personal with some of our trail blazing alumni this is kushal dalsani your host for this episode we have with us today prithvi shankar the co-founder of hamid hamid is a social media platform for bite-sized audio sharing and discovery hamid recently raised a pre-seed round led by antler congratulations on that really glad to see a bits and startup making it big Prithvi passed out of Bits Pilani in 2018 with a bachelor's of engineering in electronics and instrumentation. He has previously worked at Ola Money and Atlan. He has also co-founded Hyperloop India and Urban Stack in his college days. Welcome to Bits and Beyond Prithvi. Thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. Hey Kushal, uh, thanks thanks so much for having me over. Uh, it's a pleasure interacting with Bitsians as always. Uh and yeah, glad to be associated uh, again through this podcast uh and yeah hopefully uh, we can have a great discussion that might be useful for a bunch of folks who are still in college who have recently graduated uh, so yeah looking forward um uh, so i'm uh, i i'm prithvi shankar one of the co-founders uh, of hamit uh, i originally hail from kerala but i've had the good fortune of uh, you know moving uh, i've shifted homes about 16 times uh, studied in you know nine different schools uh so you know had a great experience uh, throughout my childhood uh, after which uh, like everyone else uh, went through the j grind did not end up at any iit but then uh, joined bits pilani uh, and pretty much since uh, the first time um, you know i entered college um, a lot of the folks that i met you know in fact two of them are currently my co-founders uh we largely connected over a shared interest in music uh so yeah like that uh so college uh was essentially the time when uh, you know when the idea of hamit uh, was seeded uh, in us uh but up until you know last year we did not actively work on hamit per se uh so yeah that's that's a brief about me uh thanks prithvi that was really great to hear Our listeners would love to hear from you about your long-term vision for Hamid, and what is it that you're building with your team? Right. Uh, so at Hamid, we are sort of reimagining the way people share, discover, and interact or express their taste in music. Uh, what we know for a fact is that you know music is inherently bragworthy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of social signaling around music. Uh, you know, and this was fairly visible to us. Uh, you know, right from college. uh people fighting over rock cables during road trips or you know sending playlists to each other or you know sharing music in the form of links or fighting over uh, you know aux cables at a social gathering or even you know metal heads preferring to sport band t-shirts all the time there's a lot of signaling around music um but at the same time we felt that you know streaming services were fundamentally designed for private listening uh so that's where we sort of wanted to uh you know reinvent music streaming for the social age uh right so uh if you see over the past 20 years uh you know the the concept of a radio has sort of died down and the reason that happened was because uh, and radio was like the uh, de facto platform where people would you know go to consume audio content uh we feel that you know the reason why the radio got uh, sort of uh redundant was because uh, it couldn't really keep up with the times uh, so like firstly you know the radio wasn't on demand 
uh, in the sense that you know you couldn't um, if if you had to sort of uh, consume a particular program you had to tune in at that particular time else you know you'd uh, miss it and on the other hand it wasn't really accessible to everyone not everyone could uh, you know share uh, broadcast their own content you know share their own audio music uh, so on and so forth so in a way it was uh, not on demand or uh, you know uh, accessible to everyone and that's why we feel that radio has died down and what we are trying to do with hamit is sort of uh, to reinvent the radio for uh, a streaming age uh given that you know everyone these days has a subscription of a streaming platform be it a spotify or apple music or youtube music right uh and the the essential outcome that we are looking for is to replace algorithm generated recommendations that you know you get from conventional streaming platforms with uh, community driven crowdsourced recommendations which we feel you know has been a fundamental need for you know a rather long time uh, i'd say right from the time you know back in 2000 when napster uh, came out uh, the reason why it became so popular was because there was a lot of music being shared right and back then uh, sharing music as mp3 files uh, was often considered uh, you know uh, what was piracy right but nowadays streaming platforms have made it extremely easy for uh platforms like ours to sort of integrate and you know build out uh new more meaningful interactions uh with music catalogs this has been a really interesting journey and i would love to uh, know what kind of genre you were listening to when you were in college and yeah so uh i mean we had our own phases so before college uh, my dad used to be my musical influence so uh, you know a lot of uh, classic rock music uh, largely uh the 60s 70s sort of music um and then you know came came to college uh discovered you know whole new range or genre multiple genres of music uh including progressive rock alt rock so i was a, i was a rockhead for a fair bit of time in college um eventually started exploring a bunch of hip hop genres uh and you know nowadays i'm i'm uh, i'm pretty much into uh, independent music uh, alt rock uh yeah listening to lofi and uh, you know uh, i'm i'm always on the lookout for new kinds of music so i really don't like sticking to a particular genre i'm sort of uh yeah i'm a sucker for music all kinds i would also love to know more about the journey after starting up hamet and when did you and your co-founder start working on this idea full time right so uh, like i briefly mentioned before uh, you know the genesis of hamet sort of traces back to our days in college uh, so the first time i met rohit and ishan and a bunch of others we largely connected over a shared interest in music uh, and you know we started seeing how music is inherently social but you know streaming services were just fundamentally designed for private listening uh, so that was sort of where we fe- first felt the need for a social music discovery platform uh but you know back then we did not know how to build an app or we did not know anything about licensing content uh so we went about creating these uh, communities on whatsapp and facebook primarily uh in fact this one facebook group called fine tuning uh, pretty much exploded to 3000 plus members within 2 months uh where we had a lot of uh, and these were largely you know batchmates a lot of seniors alumni uh, a lot of their friends uh, and what we started noticing was this daily behavior where we would have hundreds of folks uh you know coming to the group and sharing links to music 
uh, right? And that was interesting because, uh, you know, over time, what we ended up realizing was that uh, this whole, uh, you know, way of sharing and discovering music uh, through, uh, in the form of links through existing social platforms wasn't really cutting it. Uh, you know, right from the fact that these platforms are not inherently designed for audio in the sense that not always do you go to a WhatsApp or a Facebook with the intent of consuming audio. And secondly, these URLs sort of force users to switch between apps, which typically people do not prefer doing. Uh, and thirdly, if it's a Spotify URL and you're an Apple Music or a YouTube Music listener, then I mean, it's virtually of no use to you. And, you know, even if you are a Spotify listener, you have to sort of sit through the entire five minute long jam in the hope of liking it. And lastly, we felt that this, the whole feedback loop wasn't getting created uh, on existing social platforms. So that's what, that's when we, um, you know, felt that, uh, uh, you know, what it would be cool to have a social platform, uh, which is dedicated to the audio experience. Right. And, uh, uh, but by the time we had this uh, realization, we had graduated from college. Um, and, you know, so we decided to share this saying that, you know, a Google or a Facebook or a Spotify would be better positioned to build something like this uh, and moved on. Right. So uh, and since then, I've been working with Ola for about two years, uh, ended up, you know, uh, connecting again with Rohit and Ishan, like just before the lockdown last year. Uh, and we brought up this discussion of, you know, the social music platform and why it doesn't exist yet. Uh, started digging a little deeper and realized uh, certain interesting trends. Uh, you know, firstly, all of, uh, all of the popular streaming platforms, including your Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, had started putting out open APIs through which third-party platforms can directly integrate and access their entire catalogs of music completely free of cost. Right. So this meant that we did not have to worry about licensing content. Uh, and secondly, you know, there was this huge wave of short form content uh, over the past decade or so. Right. And if you see, it started with platforms like Twitter that made micro blogging social. Uh, then a few years later, you know, video became a popular format. You had your Vines and TikToks that were designed around the short form video format. And we felt that a similar sort of an experience was missing with audio content. Uh, and that's essentially why we decided to, uh, you know, build Hamid. So it was largely for ourselves, you know, you could say uh, we, for the longest time, you know, we were building Hamid uh, as a side project. Like we would spend, uh, you know, late nights and weekends sort of hacking Hamid uh, largely because we wanted it ourselves, right, more than anything. So, yeah, that's sort of how uh, it came to be. Uh, I mean, a quick uh, snapshot of you know what went behind the scenes over the past couple of years. That's really interesting. In a way, you guys had already built an MVP in the form of that community. Yeah, and I think uh, that was a huge. That was a great way in which we could uh, you know validate our hypothesis. Um, and we've always felt that like a community-driven approach to product building is is uh, the best way to do it. Uh, because, you know, more than uh, your intuition, when you have like a collective uh, from whom, you know, you can get a lot of qualitative insights or, you know, quantitative uh, data from it, it really helps. You know, I really love the design language of Hamid. It is very fresh and appealing to millennials. How important do you think is brand building for startups? Right. 
so thanks thanks so much uh, for that uh, actually for us uh, like design is pretty much at the core of what we do um, in fact for the longest time uh, uh, i you know while i'm a engineer by trade i you know i was mostly fascinated by design in fact uh, that was how i was contributing to hamid for the longest uh, period of time right and uh, what i feel is that you know design can be a real differentiator and uh, not a lot of people realize that uh, and especially coming to you know a consumer social app right uh, which is like in our case we are targeting a global audience we are looking at you know users of spotify apple music youtube music uh, right and these are users who are also using platforms like a snapchat or instagram uh, so the kind of expectations they have with consumer apps is fairly high right and uh, uh, so given that's the case it, it's important for us to you know uh, compete with the likes of you know the best uh, consumers slash social apps out there and you know we cannot really afford to compromise on uh, design at all um so and and in terms of brand building i'd say uh, i mean for us it's fairly important given that you know it's a B, b2c uh, a consumer app um, we're going direct to users so for us uh, building building that sort of a you know public uh, perception is fairly important right in terms of what is it that we are trying to do and uh, you know being fairly expressive that way uh, it need not be a priority for most companies uh, in fact if you are a you know a b2b or a platform play or you know if you are uh, an enterprise uh, you know selling to bigger companies uh, your brand may not matter as much as you know the actual product and the problem it's trying to solve for uh, and multiple other things like pricing and stuff uh, but for a consumer app it's it's fairly important to get design right uh especially given that you know we are targeting a global audience um and yeah i i really can't uh, you know stress more on the importance of uh, design right as uh, as being a core differentiator to any product so yeah but that's my personal uh, bias as a designer i totally resonate with your thoughts design does uh, make a big difference to the kind of users you are onboarding i recently came across a series of posts on linkedin behind the scenes to break it down to the audience these are the posts that shine a light on the creative minds behind hamid and their taste in music really glad to see such a culture of value in the team on that note i would love to know your views about the importance of building culture in an organization right so uh, see i think as uh, when you uh, you know go from building a product to building an organization there's a lot of things that fundamentally change right uh, because when when you're just building your product uh, you essentially care only about your users right and nothing else but when you're building a company there are a lot of other stakeholders that come into picture right your employees your future employees your you know your investors a uh, bunch of other stakeholders/partners uh, so we feel that you know in order to build a meaningful organization it's always important to get uh, like the smartest folks together uh right and uh, sort of throw them under the bus and see what what uh, they can sort of come up with uh, and we personally have like an extremely high bar in terms of the kind of team that we want to build uh right so while while we do want to 
you know build a great consumer social app uh, it's equally important for us to build an excitingly good uh, capable team right and uh, keep them motivated and what happens often, more often than not is when you have like a bunch of extremely smart talented you know uh, multi dimensional folks uh, there's always bound to be a lot of difference in opinion and that's good right because uh, these those conversations those debates uh, that's what lead to you know more meaningful or uh, much better decision making at the end of the day right but uh, when you have such amount of conflict uh, you know from time to time it's also important for people to align on certain uh, baseline rules or you know principles that they can always uh, fall back upon uh, so that's that's personally why i feel that uh, you know company values or organizational uh, you know uh, whatever you call it right the uh, principles the guiding principles behind the way a team functions is fairly important uh, because while you can have uh, like a lot of amazingly talented folks uh coming together unless you know they agree upon a certain set of things there's always you know bound to be uh, a lot of conflict and you know uh and these conflicts leading to uh delays you know sometimes lack of ownership and things like that so yeah so that's pretty much uh why we feel that it's it's fairly important to get this right especially in the beginning because uh beyond a point the culture becomes what the employees make of it uh, only in the beginning do you have like a fair amount of say in how is it that you want to build out your team uh, so yeah got it i i really think those were some really great insights i'm pretty sure clubs on campus organizations and early stage startups will take a lot from your words talking more about your personal journey it would be really exciting for our listeners to know about your college life and what clubs you were part of yeah sure uh, so i joined in 2014 to pursue my undergrad in electronics and instrumentation uh within uh, within my second year itself uh, i came to the conclusion that you know electronics wasn't really my cup of tea uh and you know there was um and i i was i just wanted to explore everything on campus uh, every opportunity that pretty much uh, came my way since first year uh, to be honest so i was part of uh, the debating society uh, you know went for a bunch of debates uh, to other colleges um i was also part of the english uh, drama club uh, and also the department of sponsorship and marketing so that was the uh, department that was you know that i'm i'm sure you'd know this but like looking after uh, finances fundraising partnerships uh, pr and a bunch of other things for college fests uh, so yeah these these were uh, the predominantly uh, the the couple of you know uh, clubs or departments that i was predominantly active in uh, but apart from that i was in my final year i was part of the placement unit as well uh, so yeah I, i pretty much tried my hand at everything uh, that you know came my way that was really great to hear i think everyone would relate to the idea of exploring everything on campus we have seen that you have been constantly building stuff even in your college when you started urban style it would be interesting to hear you talk about that segment of your life yeah i mean uh, ever since i think uh, you know second year 
uh, i was bitten by this bug of you know constantly wanting to try out new things so i would take part in you know bunch of hackathons b plan competitions uh, you know uh, design competitions uh, and one such interesting uh, competition was the hyperloop uh, the spacex hyperloop pod competition uh, which was announced by elon musk so this was back in 2015 i think when um, you know two years into announcing the concept of the hyperloop uh, in the form of a white paper uh, elon musk came out and said that you know spacex would be building a 1 mile long test track uh, in front in front of the spacex headquarters in nevada and uh, invite you know college students from all over the world to submit designs uh, which would then um, you know get to uh, get a chance to race uh, their individual pod vehicle so pods are nothing but uh, you know these uh, scaled down version of a hyperloop uh, you know system so uh, the idea was to sort of crowdsource uh, you know ideas and engineering solutions for uh, this new form of transportation uh, so yeah had a, a great uh, experience there we were able to uh, you know bring in bring together a bunch of uh, Uh, extremely talented and uh, much smarter folks uh, you know who were ex- fairly experienced in uh, various functions of engineering like for example uh, we had a and this was like a fairly uh, you know uh, multi stakeholder cross campus sort of a consortium uh, where we had folks from uh, different bits campuses to begin with and then eventually uh, we had team members across uh you know i am amdabad we had a business team uh, out of isb as well uh we collaborated with national institute of design uh, and a bunch of these uh so yeah that that was also a great uh, you know opportunity in uh, team building and we ended up uh, taking part in this uh, business uh, in this case study competition organized by hyperloop one global challenge uh, which our team ended up winning uh we were among the 10 uh, partners of hyperloop one which was uh this uh, separate entity which was trying to commercialize uh the hyperloop uh, around the world uh so yeah apart from uh, i mean this so this went on for about a good uh, two years uh, so second and third year was uh you know spent uh, building out this team taking part in this competition uh managed to go all the way to you know spacex and race up pod at the end of all of it uh came back uh, you know this was around fourth year when you know we uh, got back to india you know the competition was over so there was pretty much nothing to look forward to as such uh, we were about to graduate but we were still sort of itching to build new stuff uh, so that's when um, you know sibesh and i and a couple of others uh, from our batch and sibesh is uh, one of my batchmates again from pilani uh, he was the one who started the hyperloop uh, efforts uh from the pilani campus and all of us got together we decided to sort of uh, build urban stack in our fourth year uh and with urban stack what we were trying to do was to uh, digitize payments for public transport uh so you know we after working on something as futuristic as uh, you know hyperloop uh, and you know doing a detailed uh, case study on the feasibility of such a uh, such new technology uh yeah so i was saying you know after we worked on uh, a new and futuristic concept like a hyperloop uh, you know we wanted to sort of look at 
uh, what is it that we could you know solve for in the immediate future in terms of what was most relevant uh, for the indian context and we felt that um, in terms of public transport uh, india was you know ages behind uh, the other countries uh, and you know fundamentally we felt that the solution to you know traffic or the solution to transportation shouldn't be uh, you know focused on putting more vehicles on the roads uh, right because private ownership of vehicles would mean that you know everyone travels uh, in their own vehicle would lead to more congestion poor planning uh, given the kind of uh, you know population density that india has we felt that it wouldn't be viable uh, so there was a need to sort of incentivize a shift to public transport uh, but the public transport infrastructure was fairly broken uh, in terms of payments in terms of a bunch of things it still is broken uh, so what we decided to build was this uh, full stack solution uh, purely for uh, you know pub- payments in public transport uh, so we uh, took part in this uh, in this competition uh, which we ended up winning uh, that was organized by uh, world resource institute called uh, station accessibility and mobility program uh, where we won a 15 lakh grant to do this uh, you know pilot along with bmrcl and a couple of other public transport authorities uh, in in bangalore uh, we did that and we also landed a contract with a bunch of other state government uh, transport authorities uh, for example we were working with uh, the delhi transport corporation uh, we also worked with the telangana government for a while we ended up concluding that you know uh, public transport uh had very little you know private intervention in india uh, it was largely controlled by you know state and central governments uh because of which you know there was a lot of friction when it came to new things so trying out uh, new experiments uh, just meant that you know we would uh, fall into this loop of you know getting approvals getting all the stakeholders buy-ins uh and you know it didn't really seem scalable uh, as such uh we could do it for a particular city but then like when we moved to some other city working with a bunch of different stakeholders or authorities we'd have to build from scratch so uh we ended up concluding that uh, you know that the public transport industry in india is really not a free market uh, in the sense that you know it's not really easy for a private player to uh, come one fine day and sort of disrupt, disrupt that space uh, and given that you know we were a bunch of uh, college students fresh out of college uh we felt that we did we sort of lacked the context that a lot of uh, you know people in the industry would have uh so yeah that's uh that was that uh we ended up uh, you know uh, deciding to move on from there so yeah that's uh, these have been i mean amazing experiences of uh you know working on a lot of uh, un, you know uh, interesting new exciting stuff which didn't really have any sort of a playbook that we could follow uh so we had to sort of come up with solutions uh from scratch so that was probably the most exciting part and the fact that uh we were able to constantly do this by surrounding ourselves with some of the brightest folks uh from pilani from other campuses from all around the world uh, so yeah that these uh, was probably some of the key takeaways for me personally being one of the only two teams from asia is really dope and exciting working with all these smart students from top universities and learning with them i think traffic management is a huge market and major pain point right now and it was really visionary that you started started up so early you spoke about your journey at hyperloop 
it would be great to hear about your experience at spacex california yeah sure so um the competition uh, so we took part in two different competitions one was the spacex pod competition which which was an engineering competition the other one which was more of a business feasibility case study competition uh the spacex competition went for about went on for about uh, one and a half years uh which involved a series of you know design reviews and uh constant back and forth until you know we got approvals on firstly we had to you know get approvals on the design uh and then secondly we had to find the relevant partners or stakeholders uh or uh you know ecosystem that we could sort of uh utilize in order to bring that pod to life so in order to manufacture and build out that entire uh nearly you know half a ton vehicle uh so we uh so it was a great experience we moved uh you know but for the longest time we were uh, collaborating remotely uh on the design and the uh you know the manufacturing of the pod but then eventually uh you know during the summers uh all of us we moved down to bangalore uh we moved to this industrial area called pinia uh from where you know a lot of uh a lot of industrial uh you know and factory uh are set up a lot of uh you know the kind of tenders that you get from drdos and the hls of the country would all you know land up there uh so we felt that there was a lot of resources uh, and an ecosystem that we could that could actually support the manufacturing of something like this uh ended up you know working closely with them uh over time we realized that you know we couldn't uh, really fund this using our personal finance so we had to figure out ways in which we could raise uh you know capital for something like this uh in the form of both uh, you know corporate sponsorships so we had uh, raised close to 85 lakhs uh through a bunch of uh, you know partners sponsors uh grants etc and at the same time we were also able to uh run a crowdfunding campaign on this platform called keto uh which helped us uh, you know not just bring awareness about what we were doing amongst a lot lot of people in india but also uh sort of gather uh you know their interest and um we were able to garner the support of over 600 individuals uh through that particular campaign uh, so that was also a great experience uh it i think it till date is one of the biggest uh, fundraiser for a college uh, you know club or activity uh so yeah uh, that was uh with respect to how we managed to sort of fund our uh, way through the entire uh manufacturing the logistics transportation uh ended up you know traveling to the us uh, where we spent about uh, a month uh we took over this uh, garage uh where you know all of us worked out of now it was a garage to sort of um, to repair boats but then you know we went there and we were assembling the pod and everything uh for i think close to a week none of us slept um there used to be uh you know uh, really you know fun uh, sleepless nights yeah i mean it was a great experience uh you know having this uh, insanely smart and dedicated bunch of people uh who were trying to make something big uh which was never done before uh so yeah that was exciting and ultimately i think the best feeling was uh, you know on the day of the competition we got to meet and interact with uh, you know not just Elon Musk uh but the entire you know SpaceX crew so we uh we had a you know a tour of the SpaceX headquarters the Tesla headquarters the Tesla Gigafactory 
so yeah i think all in all it was an amazing uh, experience uh traveling to spacex and uh, you know finally getting to meet the man himself uh and yeah i mean it's a beautiful place uh, we spent a bit of time even after the competition uh, you know visiting places places in la and sf oh i think the garage story is every entrepreneur's dream story and meeting elon musk is a cherry on top i'm sure everyone must have uh, derived great value and inspiration from these stories you have also worked at ola money it is quite interesting to see a ride sharing app building a fintech product even uber another global giant is also building uber money on that note i recall this very famous blog by anderson horowitz where they predicted that every company will be a fintech company 10 years down the line do you feel that ola money's vision aligns with this prediction uh yeah absolutely i mean in, in fact for ola it was fairly strategic uh it it just made sense for them to launch a financial service uh a bunch of financial services products simply because uh you know for a lot of people who uh rely on you know cabs for day to day commute uh you know spend expenses on your know, cabs or travel becomes a significant portion of their expenses right uh so that was the sort of opportunity that ola saw in terms of uh, you know solving for a lot of things including convenience uh, you know including uh, providing them with uh, you know be it lending or with other financial services products like insurances etc uh so given that uh, you know the share of wallet when it comes to uh, something like mobility especially in cases of ola and uber uh the share of wallet is fairly high so it just fairly it makes sense for them to uh to sort of move into this space uh and i think like what what you said is absolutely right i think every company beyond a certain point in time uh they do realize that uh, you know capital can solve a lot of things right and not just capital in terms of uh like even like lending is uh, i mean one of the biggest ways in which a lot of fintechs uh, make money but even if you look at you know marketplaces or e-commerce in general wherever there are transactions happening there is always scope to uh, you know innovate for example um, you know nowadays e-commerce platforms are offering you know bank loans to uh, their merchants uh, so that they can fund their working capital requirement right so that's one um, on the other side you have uh, you know on platforms like airbnb which is a pure uh, sort of a marketplace play uh again there's also like merchants there who you know need some sort of a working capital loan uh using which they can improve the experience that they're providing to users and in turn you know uh, increase the overall gmv on that platform so it it helps both ways right if if you're able to help the stakeholders in your platform uh you know better run their business and make uh you know more revenues out of what they're already doing it'll only benefit you at the end of the day so uh yeah so there are a lot of you know these second order effects that uh, come into play especially uh when transactions are involved uh, in any particular product those were some really invaluable insights i think fintech and super apps are the future also with the launch of ola ev scooters i believe it is going to expand into a lot of industries in the future with this capital i recently came across uh, one of your twitter threads on the economics of music where you have talked about the unfair compensation for creators 
on Spotify and how the streaming giants and label houses are controlling the industry. What do you think can be done to solve this problem? And I would love to know how Hamid is helping independent creators. Right. Uh, so for the longest time, uh, the music industry has seen a slump overall, right? And the reason for that is uh, piracy. So if you see in 2000s, when uh, the format of MP3 got introduced, right? Uh, so prior to 2000s, uh, music distribution was largely in the form of physical CDs. Uh, so you had vinyls, you had you know CDs, you had cassettes. Uh, which were sold by these distributors or, you know, record labels, um, right? And uh, that's how, you know, a lot of music used to be distributed and consumed. Uh, but since the advent of MP3, what happened was, uh, you know, uh, obviously like things like piracy, Napster, uh, you know, I remember back in the day, we used to you know, download music from LimeWire or a uh, bunch of these websites. Uh, and most of, you know, music and Con consumption became uh, uh, turned into like uh, piracy because of which you know artists or labels or forget like any uh, no player in the music industry was able to benefit out of piracy in any way right it was a lot of lost opportunity that way so the music industry in general faced a downturn uh, throughout the first and second uh, decades of this uh, this uh, century. But uh, what is interesting to note is that, you know, with things like uh, streaming services and subscription, uh, a lot of piracy has been tackled, right? Uh, because of which the industry itself is recovering. Uh, but what is happening right now is, um, you know, uh, even though music has become digital, right, a lot of music consumption is purely digital right now uh, in terms of uh, not just streaming services, but also platforms like YouTube, uh, etc., uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, you know, what ended up happening was that uh, the share of profits that artists ended up making uh, reduced even further, right? And the reason for that is because, uh, you know, when, when streaming platforms were picking up, uh, labels saw them as like attractive opportunities to, you know, catch on to the bandwagon. Uh, because they knew, right, uh, distribution like itself would fundamentally change if, you know, people are not going to buy CDs and vinyls or records, right? And if they're going to consume music digitally, then, uh, you know, streaming platforms is uh, where you want to be. So they quickly ended up, you know, investing in a bunch of uh, streaming platforms. In fact, all the popular streaming platforms today are majorly owned by, you know, top three music labels, uh, so it's it's interesting, uh, you know, how these uh, labels currently enjoy the power of, you know, distribution through these streaming platforms, right? Uh, because of which, uh, to a certain extent, they're able to decide, you know, who's the artist uh, that's, you know, going to blow up or, uh, you know, they're able to, uh, you know, without all of our knowledge, they're able to sort of promote their artists over, you know, being the, this democratic platform that it ideally should be. Right. And that's where we feel that, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential to disrupt the whole uh, idea of having record labels at all, right. Given that the times have changed uh, and what we have seen, you know, over the past couple of years with, uh, you know, the likes of, you know, social media becoming like this powerful uh, weapon, uh, right, a lot of the distribution of music has shifted from uh, these labels or streaming platforms 
uh, to fans, right? Because now fans have the ability to sort of decide, uh, you know, by recommending and you know sharing, promoting music within their circles on these digital platforms. Uh, they're able to sort of decide uh, you know, who the next big break is going to be rather than a record label making that decision. Uh, so that way, I think that fundamental shift is already happening. Uh, and with platforms like Hummit, it's, it's we, the idea is to just accelerate, uh, you know, that entire process uh, and catalyze that shift of, uh, you know, power from the hands of labels to those of, you know, fans and artists in general. Those were some really great insights about the music industry. I hope indie artists get more recognition. I think with the rise of platforms like TikTok and Patreon, the creator's economy has been on the rise. What do you think is the future of creator's economy? Right. So, um, so thing is, uh, I think the creator economy is, uh, you know, is still in its very, very early stage. Uh, right. We have just started scratching the surface of, you know, what it means, uh, to have a, you know, fairly large following on social platforms, uh, right. And being able to amass that sort of build that sort of community or cloud for yourself uh, and how that can sort of lead to, uh, you know, ways in which you can, uh, generate revenue, uh, right. And artists, especially uh, you know given the music industry has uh, pushed these artists to the bottom of the pyramid uh, where they're barely making any money out of uh, you know streaming platforms uh, you know royalties uh, you know on them in in pennies right and at the same time having uh, you know tens of thousands of uh, followers on say a platform like uh, instagram or uh, some other platform uh, like a patreon right uh, like you mentioned uh, means that they have direct, uh, you know, uh, interaction with their fans and the fans are able to, you know, fairly compensate them, uh, for the kind of work or uh, effort they put into their art. Uh, so I think that's a fairly interesting, uh, trend. A lot of people will now, uh, you know, interestingly, I was seeing this tweet, um, uh, recently, which, uh, which said that, um, you know, I think 20 years back, if you asked a, a, an average person, an average kid, what they wanted to become when they grew up, the number one answer was astronaut, right? Uh, but today, if you ask someone, the number one answer is I want to be a YouTuber, right? So that is like a fundamental shift uh, in the way, you know, people perceive professions or careers, right? Uh, you no longer need to be, uh, you need to have uh, say an education from a reputed institute for you to you know in, in, increase your chances of success uh, there's you know more than enough avenues uh, for people to sort of uh, follow their passion and to be able to make money off of it so i think that's where uh, the real power of uh, you know creator economy will uh, will unfold is when like people uh, choose to opt against uh, choose not to opt like conventional uh, career options, uh, but do things uh, that 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 they truly enjoy, and be fairly compensated for it. Really fascinating thoughts about the creator's economy. I kind of agree with your thought that we have just scratched the surface, and there's a long way to go. That's it for this episode. I really enjoyed talking to you, Prithvi. 
Thanks a lot for taking out the time to speak with us about these wonderful stories and insights. I'm sure our listeners would love this episode. See you next time. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me guys. Uh it's great having this chat. Thank you.